Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 78. Uh, this week, it's just myself, Michael, and Gladys. Uh, Mark is busy this morning, and Sarah uh, is no longer in Singapore. She's actually in Norway this week at the NDC conference, which is a software developer conference. Um, and with us this week, we have two guests. We have Marcelo and Neil, who are here to talk to us about the latest and greatest news in intro permissions management. But before we get to our guests, uh, why don't we take a little lap around the news? Uh, Gladys, why don't you kick things off? I wanted to talk a little bit about... Um things that uh, we were discussing uh, yesterday in Built. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people had uh, time to uh, watch it, but there was a lot of awesome news in there. In particular, the um, co-pilot type of uh, services that we are providing. As we know, the volume and, and velocity of attacks require us to continuously create new ways uh, to enable defenders uh, to disrupt attackers' uh, infiltrations attempts. Uh, by bringing together a set of capabilities, uh, whether it is uh, Microsoft or different partners, um, this cross-service collaboration enables a lot of knowledge uh, to be captured. Uh, coupling uh, these signals together with, um, uh, we keep talking about the over 65 trillion uh, daily signals uh, that Microsoft has as part of the uh, threat intelligence and the power of AI, um, Microsoft is enabling uh, defense at the machine and speed and scale. Although this technology um, elevates uh, the human strengths, we, we have to understand that uh, security copilot doesn't always uh, get everything right. Uh, AI-generated content uh, can always uh, contain mistakes. But since security copilot is a closed-loop uh, learning system, uh, which means it is continuously uh, learning uh, from users and giving them the opportunity to give explicit feedback, uh, it, it is continuously um, improving. Uh, with Security Copilot, basically you could, um, uh, you have a prompt bar and you could ask in natural language questions such as, uh, um, are there incidents in my enterprise? Uh, provide me a summary of, of a particular vulnerability and so on. So uh, there's a lot of information and a lot of videos that were provided as part of Build. I recommend uh, uh, going uh, either to our web website that we have uh, uh, some links uh, to the demos and, and the content, or uh, go to the Build website and watch the videos. The next thing that I wanted to uh, talk about is uh, protected actions uh, in Azure AD. Um, they're in preview, uh, this uh, feature. Uh, imagine that an administrator wants to update uh, the conditional access policies, uh, and, and you want to make sure that that administrator is not uh, compromised or has not been hit by phishing attack. So now there's capability uh, to first uh, make sure that um, the administrator satisfy the phishing-resistant MFA uh, policy. In, order, in other words, uh, they are using a stronger authentication methods like FIDO2 and, and Windows Hello. So um, now uh, you have uh, the capability to enforce that before they are able to make changes. 
And last, again, if you didn't have time to attend to the bill, go and do so. There's a lot of announcement, especially about Microsoft Entra capabilities, which some of which we're going to discuss in a little bit. Yeah, it's funny you should. I was watching the, um, the broadcast yesterday from Microsoft Build, and there's one figure that stood out to me. Um, Scott Guthrie quoted that 46% of new code these days is written using AI. I absolutely believe that. Just looking at customers that I'm working with and also just people that I you know, interact with on a daily basis, a lot of people are using the likes of ChatGPT and GitHub Copilot and Visual Studio Copilot to help them write you know, just little, little bits of code or little snippets of code um, that take a lot of drudgery away. So that's um, a very interesting figure. Uh, also, just if anyone's interested, I actually recorded a couple of uh, videos for Build on SQL, SQL Server, and Azure SQL Database, obviously around security. Uh, one is on basically threat modeling and how to build threat models around SQL Server and Azure SQL, SQL Database. And the other one is all the cryptographic controls that are available in both Azure SQL Database and in SQL Server. But onto my news. Uh, first one is that uh, Ledger is now in preview in Azure SQL Managed Instance. Uh, Ledger is the way that we can provide cryptographic guarantees around the integrity of data. That's why it's called Ledger. Uh, it, it's somewhat similar in the way it works as with blockchain, but it's symmetric algorithms rather than asymmetric. And so the actual uh, security guarantees actually come from using immutable storage at the back end for the, the series of hashes, which is called a, called a Merkle tree. Um, so that's available in preview today. Um, also in preview is um, Red Hat Enterprise Linux 9.2 is now supported on AMD Confidential VMs. We talked about Azure Confidential VMs um, some weeks ago, uh, but the nice thing is you can now run this uh, you know, instance of, the, of the, the operating system in one of these confidential VMs where the root of trust is all the way down into the actual chip, into the CPU itself, and uh, no one has access uh, within Azure or Microsoft has access to the internals of your confidential VMs, um, they are you know everything that runs in there is is isolated and encrypted uh, while it's while it's running. Um, on the topic of confidential VMs, we now have the ability to support um, Azure Data Explorer. Very very early on in the podcast, we actually talked to um, the folks who run Azure Data Explorer or ADX, and it's essentially a more cost efficient way of storing log analytics data. Uh, the nice thing about ADX as well is that it's it's you know it's your data, right? You can store it in your own storage accounts. Well, now you can use uh, AMD confidential VMs to store that data and run the code um, that that queries that data. So that way, you know that if you've got confidential log data, again the trust boundary is all the way down into the CPU. So as your operators don't have access to it at all, like at all. Still on the topic of confidential um, computing, uh, we now have in general availability. We talked about this being in preview prior, prior to this, but confidential containers in Azure container instances are now supported. So again, you can now run your containers in what's called a trusted execution environment. And once again, the, uh, the root of trust is all the way down um, into the CPU. Second to last one is um, Azure Key Vault access configuration has been updated. We're now preferring the Azure RBAC model. Now, if you're not familiar, Key Vault actually supports two access control models. Uh, the historical one, like the old one, was just called the Key Vault Access Model. The granularity was at either keys or at certificates or at secrets, and that was it. You couldn't like put a, a policy on an individual key, for example. Um, with Azure Key Vault RBAC, you can. 
And so that is now the preferred model. And we're recommending that for multiple reasons. Um, so for example, the central access, access management for admins, um, integration with privileged identity management, deny assignments, much more stringent access permissions. So it's really good to see that. And, you know, I would definitely prefer that over the, the original and frankly old, um, key vault access model. And the last one, which really caught my eye from yesterday, um, one of the announcements at Build was Azure Content Safety. And so this is available as part of the Azure AI, as part of Azure AI is a new service. And it will do things like analysis of content to you know, basically give you a reading as to how potentially unsafe this content is. So for example, you know, racial slurs, sexual content, violence, violence, self-harm, hate, all that sort of all that sort of stuff. Um, and so it will flag that for you. All right, so now we've got the news out of the way. Uh, let's let, turn our attention to our guests. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, we have two guests, Neil and Marcelo, who are here to talk to us about entry permissions management. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to take a moment, would each of you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Thanks, Michael. Uh, my name's Neil Walker. I'm on the Entra Global Black Belt team at Microsoft. I'm based just outside of the Boston area. Um, I've been with Microsoft for just about two years now, and I came to Microsoft uh, from a company called CloudNox Security, where I was the director of solutions architects there. And we, I came to Microsoft via the acquisition of CloudNox. So, um, Michael, appreciate you having me in this morning. Hello, everyone. Thank you for the invitation, first of all. Uh, well, I'm Marcelo Di Giorgio. I'm uh, as, like Neil. We have the same role different regions and countries. Uh, I'm, I joined Microsoft in 2008. When I was in Argentina, I'm, I'm now in Spain. I'm living in Madrid. I went through different roles during these years, but yeah, um, I'm now working as a GBB for Entra Permission Management. Guys, can you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Microsoft Entra Permissions Management? We have spoken a little bit uh, before. Sure, so Entra Permissions Management, is, I mean, you know, to throw another acronym into the acronym stew, right? It's Cloud Infrastructure Entitlement Managements, right? So CIEM is a multi-cloud offering. So we're not just an Azure solution, right? This covers Azure, AWS, Google Cloud today. And ultimately, what we're striving to do, what we're striving to draw out of customers' environments is activity, right? So we're looking at those AWS, Azure, Google Cloud environments, and we want to be able to provide a unified view and highlight every action performed by every identity against every resource, right? And we want to do that by looking at some of that historical activity. So when we talk about the use cases, right, remember, we're doing a look back into all of that historical activity that these identities have utilized. So when we draw out some of those use cases, we're going to show use cases um, that really revolve around things like excessively permissioned identities, inactive identities, super identities, right? So we categorize all of these findings that we draw out by doing an analysis of all of the historical activity. And we make recommendations as to how you can effectively least privilege these identities in the environment, right? So at a high level, right, you'll hear me constantly emphasize that we're modeling activity, right? That's what's different about cloud infrastructure entitlement management, that it's not just, you know, from a zero trust perspective, right? When we think about least privilege, our perspective is, well, how can you have least privilege if you're not actually focusing on what's been used, right? If Michael has a high-risk permission that he's never used, why does he have it? How could he be least privileged, 
Right. So from our standpoint, again, you'll hear you'll hear Marcelo and myself talk about and emphasize the use of these activity-based insights to make the recommendations in EPM. Yes. One thing that I would like to add is that a typical question from customers when we explain or when we when we do these kind of introductions to, to a solution is that, are you going to replace PIM or is this going to replace PIM? I mean, privilege identity management. And the, the answer is no. <laughs> and and the, the, these are very different solutions. I mean, first of all, uh, PIM is not multi-cloud as uh, EPM is. And the second is that even when you can do things like, for example, you can create custom roles with custom permissions, PIM is, is not multi-cloud and uh, you don't have an easy way to have visibility on on the permissions that you are using from those custom roles. And that's where you can benefit from EPM. Uh, so this, I would say this, this is the typical question from customers and these are the main differences between uh, the, these two solutions. When I, when I look at um, permissions management, I, I start kind of getting overwhelmed and I, I'm like, okay, uh, um, in the past, uh, this is, uh, has taken a lot of effort. So can you uh, tell us what, how would you go into um, reducing uh, those permissions and uh, uh, maybe even talk how it interface with other um, uh, services uh, that Microsoft has? Neil, do you want to go first? Yeah, no, I can. I, I, I can take that. So, from a least privileged perspective, when we make recommendations around how we would actually go about least privileging, and I know Gladys, you frame this in the context of you know if we're going to least privilege a user, a group. Keep in mind, this extends way beyond human identities, right? I just want to make sure that we emphasize that as well. This isn't just human identities. We're looking at you know service principles, managed identities applications, AWS roles, Lambda functions, GCP service accounts, right? We look at all of the identities and we're looking at those historical usage patterns. So when we talk about least privileges, least privilege, one of the remediation strategies, and again, this is just one strategy that you can take, is when you look at, let's just take a managed identity, for example, right? In a lot of cases, in a lot of use cases, those identities should have really a fixed set of permissions that they're using on a recurring basis. In certain use cases, those permissions may not change. So when you look at those identities and we talk about least privileging, right? If we look at the activity, we look at those usage patterns um, of the identity and we see that they have high risk permissions assigned that they've never used. When we talk about least privilege, what we can do, one of the steps that we can do is that we can look at the actual activity that they've used over time. So for example, we can do a 90-day look back, look at what the identity has actually been using, take that activity and create a role, right, with just those permissions that they've actually been using, right? So, and we can do that with various levels of automation um, that we can talk a little bit, you know, <laughs> further down the road in the conversation around, you know, what remediation looks like. But from a least privileged standpoint, it's whether you're looking at a user, a group, a service account, an AWS role, a resource, regardless of what you're looking at, one of the strategies and technologies that we'll provide is take the activity, you know, basically take the used permissions that we've seen used over time, create a custom policy or role, depending on what cloud we're looking at, and be able to effectively least privilege the identity with that strategy. There's one interesting thing that I used to explain as part of what well, as, as, as part of what Neil was saying is that uh, you can of course create roles, custom roles with your specific permissions or the permissions that you need to use. 
and, and of course you can apply this to human on human identities etc um, uh, but we also have something called templates and we I, I used to explain about this when we go through these permissions on demand or just-in-time capabilities it's basically uh, about doing requests for permissions uh, that that you may need I mean templates in this case which are similar to roles I would say but the uh, the main difference, let's say, is that when you create a template, that template is going to be part of uh, like a library that you have in, in the solution on EPM and that you can use as part of your requests when you request something. For example, you can create a template that contains the permissions that you need for everything related to virtual machines deletion. Let's say that someone from your organization uh, deletes uh, virtual machines on a monthly basis, for instance. Well, this, this user can request this, or you can create a request for this, for example, to assign this template to the user on a specific day and time. For example, uh, if the user is going to delete virtual machines every Friday morning, for instance, you can create a request that is going to be, that, that where the, the result is going to be that we are going to provision that request. I'm, I'm, Sorry, we are going to provision those permissions by creating a custom custom role and for a specific amount of time, let's say, for example, for an hour. And after that uh, period of time, we are going to deprovision that. And this is a, an interesting way to do things uh, similar to PIM, let's say again, but from EPM, where you don't have to worry about uh, long-standing permissions. So you bring up you know, long-standing permissions and that sort of stuff, but you know one thing that always interests me is so the, you know when you look at access control there's really two parts to it right there's the actual objects themselves that you're trying to protect and you may use some access control lists or RBAC or ABAC or whatever policies or whatever technology you have to apply those policies but then you also have principles you know users processes and so on that have certain rights on the box or roles or privileges depending what environment you're running in do we look at both? Does Entra look at both? Like you look at objects and you say, you know, these these objects have you know a way to permissive access control, as well as looking at principles and saying, yes, these principles have way too many privileges. Do, does Entra permissions management actually look at both and give you information about both so you can take appropriate action? Yes, if you go to the analytics dashboard. You can see that, well, uh, I think that Neil mentioned something about this at the beginning. We have visibility on human and non-human identity. That means normal users, I mean, uh, human identities, uh, privileged and non-privileged identities, and also service principles or managed identities. So if you, if you go to the analytics dashboard, you will see that you, you have visibility on the activity of any, any kind of account in reality. And you can right-size them in the same way. And even before finishing my, my response. In terms of this uh, request or just-in-time or permissions on demand, you can do the same. I mean, you can create requests for both human and non-human identities. It's going to be exactly the same. Let's say that you are using a managed identity or a service principle that is being consumed by an application that is, again, going to delete virtual machines or going to do some kind of automation. You can create a request for this identity. And uh, if you know when this identity is going to use those permissions, you can, you can specify the, the date and time where you would like to assign these permissions. Could be a role, the template, etc. You use the, the term there, right-sizing. So what does that actually mean in this context? So right-sizing 
is a term we use when we talk about remediation, right? So right-sizing could be, right? And I want to emphasize could be, right? We're not suggest Marcelo and I aren't suggesting that, okay, we're going to analyze every single user and create a custom role uh, based on their activity for every single user, right? But right-sizing is just a general term just to have a better, a better fit set of permissions, right? One of the strategies to do that could be an activity-based role or policy, right? In certain use cases, that can make sense, right? Especially when we're talking about groups and service principles, AWS roles, and some of the other identities that lend themselves to those activity-based you know, roles or policies. But right-sizing just really means to find a better set of permissions, right? You have high-risk permissions that you're not using, right? Why leave those permanently assigned? Um, you're just opening yourself up to unnecessary risk. They're not being used take them away, right? Whether you use, whether you downsize that role, downsize that policy or create an activity-based policy or role, that's what we mean by right-sizing. This le leads perfectly to a question that I have uh, because you said that you're not going to uh, create a role for every user, right? And so so how do you prioritize? How do you operationalize this? Uh, 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 again, you don't want to, in, in our organization that had hundreds, uh, thousands of users, you don't want to create a role for each of the, of these users. How, how do you bring it uh, together so it's an enterprise-ready type of solution? Yeah, that's a great question, Gladys. So from an operational perspective, you know, I'll answer that question in two different ways. So basically, we assess your Azure subscriptions, your AWS accounts, your Google Cloud projects. We assign risk, you know, exactly to your point, Gladys, when we talk to organizations, you need a way to prioritize these candidates for least privilege, these candidates that need attention, right? Because to your point, whether you're a single cloud or you're multi-cloud, you likely got thousands, if not tens of thousands of these identities, human and non-human in your environment, right? How do I prioritize this? So from our standpoint, it all starts by modeling risk. So every subscription project account gets an overall risk score, right? Within those accounts, projects, subscriptions, right? Every identity has a risk score. And when, you, when we talk about operationalizing it, it starts with identifying the risk, right? Where do I start, right? Well, the data is going to dictate that, right? So when we look at the data, we're going to find, we're going to assign risk, right? Let's just say you have an Azure subscription. It has a risk score that's in the red. I don't have a visual to support this, but we do gauge that risk score. So if you have a risk score that's in the red, you look at the subscription and you can see, well, what's contributing? to this high risk, this risky subscription that I have out there. If I look at that, you know, we're looking at elements like inactivity, right? Do I have completely inactive service principles, users, groups, um, functions, right? Whatever the use case is. So we then will break this down in very prescriptive recommendations, identifying what those highest risk identities are. And then from an operational perspective, Right? It really is dependent on the personas in the organization. And what I mean by that is, you know, every organization is different in the sense that you're, you, know, you could have security teams, cloud infrastructure operations teams, identity teams. Right? And so depending on the use cases and depend, depending on who does what at the organization, we can make sure that we're funneling those alerts, those reports, all of that guidance to the appropriate personas at the organization to take action. Right, but it starts by prioritizing the risk by using this risk score 
making sure that, and then as you remediate, right, we'll actually show you how much progress you're making against the risk, right? If you have a subscription that, okay, well, from a risk score perspective, right, and the, the scales to 100, okay, on day one, you may have a subscription that has a score of a 90, okay? That's got significant risk. And then as you start to remediate, as you start to operationalize this, you'll see over time, right, whether it's on day two, day 20, day 30, right, you're monitoring that risk score, right, and you're going to watch it go down as you're addressing these by making sure that the appropriate personas of the organization are getting the appropriate data and they're doing their part to least privilege these identities, right? Whether it's using our automated tools or they're using even a manual framework to start with, right? To least privilege these identities. So I know that was a long-winded answer, um, but we are very prescriptive in operationalizing this. Once you see the data, once you see the recommendation and roll-up reports, it's not as daunting as it sounds. So I mentioned that um, I've been seeing a lot of uh, documentation out there of changes. And uh, of course, uh, after we acquired the uh, uh, service, uh, we kind of align it uh, more to our type of capabilities. So what kind of uh, uh, new features or new capabilities have you added lately uh, to the product? One of the most requested additions or features or capabilities is uh, the Azure AD integration. We are dividing this, releasing um, different uh, phases, let's say. We are in phase one. This is in public preview now. And well, this first sprint is giving you some uh, visibility into different roles and service principles and more things around Azure AD. That's the number one feature capability requested by customers. At least, let's say, in, in my experience and the experiences from, from uh, colleagues. The, the other thing is that uh, we recently announced the availability of PDF reports. So if you go to reports, you can export, you can create PDF reports uh, with that. I, I, I would personally say with an excellent or, or very good uh, executive format. I have many customers using these reports for internal presentations. Let's say, for example, if there are customers that want to promote the solution internally, they create these these reports and and use them as uh, something that they, they they use to present the, the well the results first. If we are going through a POC or or risk assessment, and second to catch the attention from the decision makers, you know. I think there are a couple of additional things. Uh, Neil, do you remember if we have some more news? Yeah, I think the big thing that you're going to see over time is what Marcel alluded to around the Azure Act, Azure AD insights is just remember, this was purpose-built for infrastructure. So we're doing an analysis on infrastructure in Azure, in Google Cloud, in AWS, and we've extended those capabilities by now doing a deeper inspection into Azure Active Directory. And that's, we have an initial phase in preview today where we're showing you the same perspectives that we're showing you at the infrastructure level. We're showing you from the Azure AD perspective as well, showing you, you know, your global administrators, your service principles, and giving you more insights specifically um, from Azure AD outside of the infrastructure. And you're going to see more and more features added to that Azure 
Active Directory insights moving forward as well. And then lastly, what I wanted to say is you'll also see some upcoming announcements in the near term around some third-party integrations that we have coming up as well. A lot of the workflows that Marcelo described, right, you may not necessarily want to drive some of those elevation workflows through the EPM console. We want to give you the flexibility to be able to drive some of those workflows through, let's just say, an ITSM platform, right? So you'll be seeing in the near term here some announcements around um, some upcoming APIs and connectors so that you can make use of the data, make use of the workflows outside of the EPM console. And like I said, some of those are going into preview in the coming weeks, and we'll share that data and you know more definitive target dates um, as we make those announcements. All right, let's bring this episode to an end. So gentlemen, one thing we always ask our guests is if you had one final thought to leave our listeners with, uh, what would it be? I mean, I'd like to share one final thought around entry in general. So when your listeners leave this call and they go out and they start doing some homework around entry permissions management, some of the other elements, you're going to run into, well, Entra isn't just permissions management, right? It's, it's a family of products that we've rebranded as part of the Microsoft identity portfolio, right? So as you're doing that homework, um, if anyone has any, I just want to make sure that I allude to the fact that in addition to permissions management, there's other elements, identity related, AAD, verified ID, identity governance, workload IDs, right? These all make up what is the Entra family. What we've been talking about today is specifically Entra permissions management. I mean, just keep in mind, if, you know, as you're doing your, your analysis and you're doing your reading, if you have any questions specifically on any of the other elements in the stack, I know most of the listeners are probably somewhat familiar with you know Azure Active Directory, but if anyone has any questions on anything else you stumble on, verified ID, IGA, workload IDs, again, it's just something we can reach out and help you provide additional context around those as well. So one more thing is that this is something that I used to tell to my, my customers. Don't think that you are the exception. Unfortunately, many, many customers, when, when we enable, for example, when we do a POC or risk assessment, we see that the, the situations in terms of permissions gap is not good. We recently announced the availability of, uh, there, there's a document called, uh, well, I don't know if this is the exact title, but it's something like state of, perm of uh, cloud permissions for this year, 2023, where we say that 1% of the permissions assigned are being used. So this is a reality. This is something that I'm seeing in all my customers, no exceptions. So my advice for the people that, is list that are listening to this uh, podcast is that give it a try. Try to, to take this uh, seriously because you can't imagine the, the, how many permissions you could have assigned or your identity would have assigned by the fact of, for example, having a single role assigned. So why not to give it a try and see what your situation is? You know, when I'm building threat models with customers or even internally, we always get back to two critical aspects. And one is permissions on objects and privileges slash roles slash you know, capabilities that principles like users or processes um, have. I don't think anyone can really underestimate the value of tooling like Entra Permissions Management for understanding what your sort of security posture is around um, authorization and access control. 
So gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us this week. And to all our listeners out there, we hope you found this useful. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.